You're listening to the Bridge Christian Fellowship Message Archive. We meet Sundays at 10.30 a.m. in Seattle. For more information, visit thebridgeseattle.org. Today's message is Ephesians 6, given by visiting Pastor Greg DiLoretto on June 25, 2017. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same for them, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, and that I may declare it boldly, as I ought to speak. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychius, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ, with love incorruptible. Some of you know that when we were planning this whole thing, one of the kind of linchpin concepts was that we would have uh, different voices um, in, in all aspects, but uh, one in particular that wouldn't just be me every Sunday morning uh, talking. And so I'm very excited to have our inaugural other speaker be Greg DiLoretto. Most of you know him pretty well, but for those of you who don't, I, uh, I was just figuring this out the other day. It's actually been over 20 years since Greg and I met each other. Um, we worked uh, daily together for 13 years in college ministry, um, and I can't think of anyone else that I have more 
faith in their treatment of scripture for you this morning. So, uh, Greg, coming up. Thank you, Dan. Um, yeah, it is, uh, it, is, it is a little surreal and awesome to be able to be here. Um, Dan is uh, probably my closest friend, um, and, and in all senses, uh, probably my truest brother uh, that I have in Christ. Uh, and so it is an honor to be able to be here with you. Um, before we get going, will you please uh, pray with me? Um, God, I give you thanks for this time. And uh, Lord, I, I truly believe that when we gather together, you speak to us in a unique way. Uh, God, so, so I pray that the words uh, that you have for us this morning would resonate uh, as your gathered people in this moment. Lord, whether it's we're going to be here every week or we're here for one week or whatever, I pray that there's something in this time, in this specific space that you have for us. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open our hearts and our minds to hear that we would be, uh, be moving in tune with your heart this morning and as we go from here. And I pray this all in the name of Jesus. Uh, amen. So as Dan said, my name is Greg. I'm uh, one of the co-lead pastors of a church called One Life Community Church. And our church is a partner church with you in what you're doing. So we help and support you in any way that we can. Um, and we do this because it's good, but also because we know and love Dan and you all so much. Uh, and so uh, I want to let you know that what you're doing is not just impacting this neighborhood and the neighborhoods you come from, but it impacts our church. It impacts One Life Community Church. Every time I bring the bridge up, people at our church get excited. There's new life happening in our church because of this gathering and what you're doing. And so I want to uh, thank you for that because it, it, even when I wrote this, I was like, well, every time I mention you, I was like, where have I heard that before? Right? Paul says that all the time about every time I mention you, every time I think of you, I'm thankful every time. And, and it's really happening in our church. And so I'm thankful uh, and grateful to you all. Uh, as Dan also said, you're wrapping up your time in the book of Ephesians, this letter written by this guy, Paul, who had this dramatic encounter with Christ that reoriented and reset the course of his life. And you learned a ton of things. And as I got to listen to Dan's preaching, you should also know you're blessed with an amazing preacher. And Dan. Uh, so I want to uh, steal one of Dan's phrases, uh, purposeful remembering, and uh, take you through a couple of the things that uh, you uh, learned over the past uh, six weeks. One, that you are part of God's plan A. God has chosen you from before the beginning of time to be a participant in his work of reconciling all things to himself. Everything in heaven and earth that God is drawing back to him, he has counted you as a part of that plan. Um, and that he's done this amazing work of bringing the separated heaven and earth back together, the separated Jew and Gentile, the person separated from God, anything that experiences separation. Jesus Christ, through his work, is God is restoring, and we are a part of that. Uh, we, through the power of God, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead and in the strength of the Holy Spirit, are an enabled people to live out this work that Jesus has done, that we can live it out in our day-to-day -day lives. And every single thing we do, we can experience this. And that it's all by God's initiation, God's movement, God's call, and His invitation. Dan had this great phrase where he said uh, about Jesus breaking down the walls that exist. Uh, he said, there are walls that keep us safe and walls that keep others out, but in whatever way people are using these walls, Christ breaks through it. I'm going to use that a thousand times. That was awesome. Uh, 
Uh, you learned about the difference between pride and self-degradation and what true humility is. The importance of knowing who you are, knowing who God is and how immense and too big he is for us to grasp or master. And you allow those two realities to collide. And as they do, you discover that perfect love casts out fear. And that through that, we experience in this movement of the Holy Spirit, this reality that we are loved despite God's hugeness and our smallness. And yet God still invites us to go and be part of his rescue mission in the world. And then there's this shift, all this great theology and stuff that Paul's doing in chapters 1 through 3. And then from there, it changes to how do we do that? How do we live that out? Well, Paul starts by helping us live our lives in a way that honor and glorify God. Um, that, that we present an accurate picture of who Jesus is. And Dan used this idea of wearing the team jersey, right? That how, do we, is, how does how we live match with what we say we believe? When we go up to someone and they know we're a Christian, they should see our actions match that. And so do we do that? Um, Paul then talks about, he goes into this long section about the, the different relationships that we have. Husbands and wives, uh, parents and kids, slaves and uh, their masters. And talks about how all of that gets expressed and lived out and how we submit to one another. Uh, and I know that the... The verses 1 through 10 to talk about uh, parents and slaves and kids are part of what we're going to talk about today, and I'm going to get to that. We're going to spend a lot of time, though, in 10 through 24. Um, so I want to get to verses 1 through 10 first, though. Um, the part about, uh, it says, uh, children obey your parents, and it quotes one of the commandments. And this is a verse, how many people here have kids? Okay, how many of you were ever a kid? Okay, good. Just like to get everyone to be able to raise their hand. Um, if you have kids, this is a verse that you want to paint on your kids' walls in their rooms. You want to say it to them every time because it's the one that goes above and beyond when your kid says, I want to do something. And you say no, and they say, why? And you say, because I told you so. It's a completely unsatisfying answer. Right? So then we go, oh, but I want to take this verse and say, well, you need to obey me because the Bible says so. Because God says so. Right? Because that goes a step above that. But it's awesome that Paul follows this up with a message that, that depending on where you land on certain things, is either to fathers or to parents. Um, because the, the, the word uh, in that section is translated fathers is occasionally used for both parents, but we can let it be whatever you need it to be. Um, but it follows it up with whoever, parent, father, don't exasperate your kids. Right? Paul says, I've just given you this great tool. You need to obey me because God says to, right? And as a parent, I'd like to throw that out every single time my kid has an argument and say, you can take it to the Lord because he says you need to listen to me, so just do it, right? But now Paul says, oh yeah, but don't, don't exasperate your kids. Don't like, you know, rule over them. Don't hold that against them. Don't be mean to them with it. Um, and I think that's, that's wisdom because uh, this happens with my kids, but it happens in almost every relationship I have at some point. That um, when someone comes and asks me for something that I can't give them, and they ask why, what they want is uh, an answer that satisfies them. Right? And I very rarely have that, I've discovered in life. That someone asks me, can you do this? And I say no, and they go, well, why not? And what they want is something that's going to make them feel good, like it's all okay. And I very rarely have that answer. And so... Um, you know, when we come to these situations, it helps to have that in mind. And, and because I think at times we try to solve all their feelings and we want to be kind and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, I have to realize with my kids that um, 
You want ice cream. I say no. Why? Because I don't know. For some reason, I just don't want you to have ice cream right now. It's not good. It's not the time. It's not. I have no answer that's going to satisfy them as much as ice cream would have. Right? So I've given up on trying to satisfy them. Uh, but at the same time, I try not to exasperate them. And so it's this really actually difficult passage. And then Paul followed this, this up with a highly controversial section on slaves and their masters. Um, where he continues to describe their relationships. And what I want you to know is whether you think that Paul is making a statement about slavery and, and whether or not it's okay and how that relates to how slavery has occurred in other places in the world and in history or not, that Paul is saying that Jesus has an impact on how we treat people, it, even in, in, in words and systems. And Paul says slaves and masters are supposed to, supposed to treat each other in the same way. That a system uh, that exists that is rife with abuse, like slavery, and rife with exploitation, um, that uh, he kind of turns it upside down and says, okay, so slaves, you're supposed to interact with your masters this way, uh, as unto the Lord and, and, and all this. But then he says, oh yeah, and masters, you have to treat your slaves the same way. He says, I, I've kind of equaled, I've, I've kind of leveled this. There is nothing in the culture that would have said on any level that slaves and masters are equal. But Paul says here that in Christ, you're supposed to treat each other the same way. I've now made something equal between these two. It's all part of God's work of bringing things together, reconciling things. And what we get after this is this change. In 10 through 24, we have this change of pace, this change in tone, a change in metaphors. Uh, the characters are familiar. God's there. Jesus is here. Holy Spirit is here. The church is here. People in their relationships are here. These entities known as rulers and powers are here, but they've been there since the beginning of the book also. All of these are here, but what changes is this shift to this strong military metaphor, the armor of God. And Paul starts it all off with this call to stand. Four times the word stand appears just in these few verses. If you can click ahead, I think one more. Yeah, so finally be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then. And he goes into this uh, long list of things. But what I want you to notice here is that Paul uses that word stand four times in just a short section of scripture. And he has a good reason for that. Um, when I've taken my kids down to the ocean and we go out in the water and we usually go maybe waist deep, maybe mid-thigh deep, and we're standing there, and I tell them, be careful when the waves come in, because we've all watched Fail Army, and we've seen videos of people standing there, and they get knocked over by waves, so be careful when you're standing there, and then we they get ready, and we stand there, but then when the water goes back out, we see, oh, the water going back out, there's an undertow, that could pull you off balance too, so we have to learn how to stand in the ocean, um, or else it'll knock you down, and one of the things you may or may not know about me is that I, I have a martial arts school that I run, um, and one of the main concepts in the martial arts is what's called center line. That there's this imaginary line that runs right down the center of your head, straight down the middle of your body into the floor. And what you always try to do is maintain center line. Anytime you get off center line, anytime you compromise center line, you're off balance. And everything you try to do, whether it's throw a kick or a punch, is now it's got less power, it's less affected. Anything you try to do from a position off center line is compromised. 
And so one of my instructors would always say, don't reach for anything that's not on your tool bench, right? So that means don't do a technique that all of a sudden I gotta come way out here to try to get this because now I've compromised my center line and I've given it to my opponent and they can use that against me. And what Paul is saying here is that our whole person all of us has a center line that we need to maintain. We need to be able to stand in the middle of these waves. And that's Jesus. Jesus is the person we orient ourselves to. Um, and when we're not oriented to Jesus, there's this danger that we're going to get knocked down. So the encouragement is to stand, to withstand, and to stand firm. Well, what is the danger that we face? Well, it's not flesh and blood. If we look at the passages before this, the whole book of Ephesians, in every single chapter, there's a spot where Paul is telling us, no, it's not the way God works. In fact, God is about bringing things together. In 1.15, it says, I have also heard about your love for all God's people. In 2.14, he says, for he, speaking of Jesus, himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one. He has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. There's this bringing together. 3.6, the mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. In 4.2, be humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And in 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So it's obvious that Paul is not talking about our enemies, the things that we need to stand against, our people. But if not people, then what? Well, it says rulers, authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Well, what are these? Well, uh, within Scripture and, and in another sermon uh, that you should have sometime, we learn that there are these forces in the world. There's this being named Satan who was expelled from heaven along with some other angels uh, that followed him. And that Satan and his followers are the enemy of God and the enemy of God's people. They're ancient beings with far greater capacity and power than we have, and they are all bent on the absolute destruction of anyone who follows God. Now, the Greek word that depicts these beings is cosmocrator, which means ruling powers are gods of this world. And throughout history, they've been identified with in lots of different ways. At one point, you would have had the god or goddess of the ocean or the harvest or war. And when you're going into a venture and needed help, you would go to these gods, you would sacrifice to them and worship to a specific god. And in that moment, that god was what I'm going to call the functional master of that person's heart. They put their trust in that god to provide for them. We don't do anything like that, right? That was the past. That was ancient days. Maybe those people didn't understand things. We, we look at things differently in the world. Or do we? We have a world that's full of these cosmic creators. It's the nature of these powers, these principalities to set up little gods and to try to get us to worship them, to give any part of ourselves to them. And they're all over the place. Who or what is the functional master of your heart? Does that change throughout the day? Who or what has the deed to your heart's trust? What do I really trust throughout my day? What do I really live for? Because that is what I worship. In our culture, addiction is running rampant. And two of the most prominent forms of addiction are sexual addiction, often in the form of pornography, and drug addiction. And the statistics about drug addiction and addiction to pornography are staggering. Why is it so difficult? We should, we should look at those things, and we often do, and go, I can clearly see that both of these things are not things to be involved with. And yet, men, women, young, old, Christians, people of faith, people of no faith, seem to be unable to resist these things. Why? Because we are beings who are created to worship. 
We are beings who are created to love. We are beings who are created to give ourselves to something. And the things we give ourselves to, the things we give our hearts to, have a significant impact on us. Part of this is our own physical makeup within our bodies. Uh, many of you might be familiar, there's this chemical in our bodies called dopamine. Uh, and dopamine has several functions it's involved within our body, but it's often talked about when discussing motivation, pleasure, addiction, attention, or lust. Uh, and this is when dopamine levels are often increased in the central portion of our brain. And when this happens, many people describe it as pleasure. They feel good. Inter interestingly, all abuse drugs from alcohol to cocaine to heroin to meth increase our dopamine levels in this area of the brain in some way or another. But it's not just that once we pursue a certain thing that gives us pleasure that we get an increased uh, level of dopamine because it also signals a feedback for predicted rewards, rewards. So if you've learned to associate a cue like a crack pipe with a hit of crack, you will start getting increases of dopamine in response to the sight of a crack pipe. Now, if you don't get your hit, then the dopamine can increase uh, and that feel can decrease and that feels bad. So then the desire to feel good increases, but it gets even more complex in these two examples. Because dopamine can increase in the central portion of our brain in people with post-traumatic stress disorder when they're experiencing heightened levels of vigilance and paranoia. So you can also say that dopamine plays a role in what's called salience. When something is salient, it is the most notable or the most important. It's the thing that we, again, give our attention to, even if it's not pleasurable, but we lock in on something. A couple of interesting stats about dopamine uh, and some of the things we interact with. This device, cell phone, when it buzzes in our pockets or we hear it beep, we experience a 10 to 20% increase in our dopamine levels. Why? Because maybe someone on the other end wants us. Right? How often have you found yourself where you see other people sitting with their phone on the table and every now and then just give it a why? I want a little hit. I want a little dopamine. Right? It makes me feel good. To see that anything, anything, even if it's an ad, showed up in my notifications. Chocolate causes a 60 to 80% increase in dopamine. Sex causes a 200 to 300 increase in dopamine levels. Methamphetamines, uh, crystal meth, causes an 800% increase in dopamine levels. James Smith, in his book, Desiring the Kingdom, defines worship practice or liturgies basically as as the ways that we worship this way. So liturgy or worship practices are rituals of ultimate concern that are formative to our identities. They're the things that we cannot live without, and they reflect what matters to us, but they also shape us. When we worship something, we at some point decided, I cannot live without that thing. That thing, I need to give my full attention to this. There's a professional wrestler named Jake Roberts, who's also known as Jake the Snake Roberts. Of course, you all know that because you're a big professional wrestling fan. Uh, he was talking about his life as a wrestler, and during that time, he was addicted to just about everything you can be addicted to. Substance abuse, people abuse. Um, and at one point, he says, uh, I, couldn't, uh, I couldn't see my wife anymore as a human being because I, sit, I spent so much time with other women doing all these things that my fantasy life lived out that when I laid in bed with her, I could no longer be attracted to her because she wasn't able to fulfill all these outside fantasies that I had that other people could. His practices, his liturgies, had shaped who he was. These are the things that are obvious. Sexual addiction, 
drug addiction, we, in our minds, know we shouldn't be involved with that stuff. But what about things and systems that we can't always see? Um, uh, one of my kids was in a class. They go to a school that is, uh, has a international, it has a language immersion uh, program, and they're in the Spanish part. And uh, my youngest daughter was in her class, and they had this system where every day you came into the class and everyone started with, uh, they had their names in these little envelopes, and everyone had a little red card in the envelopes. Um, and, and throughout the day, uh, because the teachers were trained to spot good behavior, right, which is great. Um, and so, but as the day went on, if the teacher saw you doing something excellent, they would change the color of the card. There were several cards, and it would change from uh, red to yellow to orange to green, right? Now, first of all, I found it uh, supremely, I don't know if ironic is the right word, uh, but uh, that every kid in the Spanish language immersion school was trying to get a green card, right? I found that to be... Uh, not good. Um, but what it told my daughter is she asked me, she's like, Dad, how come I come in every day and start bad? This system was telling her that from the get-go, you started bad and that you had to work up to something good. And so she went into class every day thinking, I'm bad, right? Which isn't the case, right? That's not the case. We don't want that to be the case for any of our kids to go in feeling like from the get-go they've already lost what for some of our kids is a really difficult battle. So sometimes we have systems in place that tell us something. But we need to be asking some different questions. Uh, this guy, James Smith, in his book, Desiring the Kingdom, says this. Uh, the question uh, we bring to culture is not primarily or only what does this or that institution say or only what do this uh, or that institution have to say or what is the message being communicated in this film or what ideas or values contained in this or that policy. Rather. The questions we should be asking are quite different. What vision of human flourishing is implicit in this or that practice? What does the good life look like as embedded in, in cultural rituals? What sort of person will I become after being immersed in this or that cultural liturgy? And what does this practice of liturgy want me to love? The reason we need to ask these different questions is because earlier I mentioned the devil and these rulers and these authorities and powers. They're, the main thing they do is lie to us. Jesus refers to Satan as the father of lies and that lying is his native language. And so each thing that leads us away from God has a lie attached to it. What lies have you been told about God, about the church, about the other political party, about different ethnicities or other genders or lifestyles, about the world, about life, or about yourself? There are lots of lies we've been told. I want you to sit for just a second and think. There's some things you maybe have been told about yourself. So Paul says, there are these powers and principalities we need to stand against, and here's how you do it. You put on this armor. Awesome. What armor do we have? We have the belt of truth, which is the opposite of the lies that we're told. This is God's native language, truth. The blessed breastplate of righteousness, that God has made us righteous through his righteousness, that we've been made right with God. We have feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Somehow we are at peace with God and with others because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have a shield of faith 
Our belief in God, even when he is not where we can see or perceive him, protects us. And we have a helmet of salvation. We have been saved and nothing can separate us from the love of God. And finally, a sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. It's interesting to me that even though all of the things listed here, swords, helmets, shield, all this armor in the metaphor is external, none of the realities attached to these pieces of armor or weapons are primarily external. These are things that we believe, things that we understand, and most importantly, things that we are. These are things that we internalize, and then they move and move us in new directions. These are things that primarily happen in our inner person and then determine our actions. This again emphasizes that it's not flesh and blood that our main struggle is against. The strong military metaphor is meant to show the severity and danger of this battle, but Paul sees that we may think that this metaphor means that we should see people as our enemy, and so he tells us it's not flesh and blood. The armor we put on is internal, then we're transformed from the inside out as we believe, understand, and are moved in new directions in our body. Eugene Peterson says this, the armor is redefined in terms of who we are, not what we do. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, the word of God are all in contrast to the schemes. None of these are a way to do anything, not a plan or a program. None of them can be done on our own. They are gifts and can only be maintained in the act of giving. They can only exist in the act of giving with other humans. Don't look them up in the dictionary. They are not skills we perfect, but when we put them all together, we find these six words incarnate in Jesus. So this armor makes us look more like Jesus. Jesus is an example of all of this. What Paul is saying is that putting on this armor is becoming like Jesus in order to stand, withstand, and stand firm against the devil's lies, we have to become like Jesus. And we can't do that by our strength or our good plans, but only by the work and power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But the armor of God is the embodiment and internalization of the life of Jesus Christ in us. And then the putting on of this armor reorients us, it roots us and renews us. But if it's not something we can do, yet we're encouraged to do it. Well, how does that happen? Well, Paul says in the last section how it happens. Paul says to pray. In fact, he says it five times. He says, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Paul exhorts us to pray. How? In the Spirit. With what? With all kinds of requests and prayers. And I don't know if you've ever done this. Um, several years ago, uh, someone challenged me with this, this, I think, reality. That uh, we often say prayer is talking with God. Right? Um, if I look at the Gospels then, then every time someone talks with Jesus, that's prayer. And what I find is a huge amount of freedom in what I can and cannot say to Jesus. Uh, because some of the things he was asked, some of the comments that were given to him were uh, things that he received. Um, and, it, and it allows me to ask any honest question that I have. So we're supposed to pray, Paul says, with all kinds of requests and prayers. With anything you've got. When? All the time. On all occasions. Okay, well that's pretty wide open. What do we do with this? Martin Luther said that I have so much to do that I'll spend the first three hours in prayer. Okay? 
I don't have three hours. I can't pray for three hours. Maybe you can. Uh, but this other person, a woman named Tam, wrote this on a blog. I continue to struggle for balance each day and with each season of life transition, the struggles to balance my time and more importantly, center my life continue. I've learned that it doesn't take three hours though. Instead, after a time possibly as brief as three minutes, my entire attitude can change and the entire day becomes a living prayer. The list of chores, work assignments, and everything else I want to accomplish is still important, but not as important. The prayer changes the weight of the workload because the prayer changes me. And at the time she wrote this, both her and her husband were working on PhDs at seminary, and they had two kids. Right? So we change when we pray. We become more like Jesus. So Paul says, pray all the time. With everything you have, in all kinds of ways. It doesn't matter. Oh, is this honest? Is this the right thing? It doesn't matter. He says, come to me. Pray. In all ways, at all times. Could it be that some prayer in the morning helps us reorient and get Jesus back on as our center line? And then our day all of a sudden becomes a day centered on Jesus and resurrection that gets lived out. Because when we pray, we're putting the armor on. When we pray, we're remembering God. Whether that be words of thanksgiving, lament, joy, sadness, praise, anger, or hope, or despair. All those things, if they're directed at God, get us back on center line. So remember to pray on all occasions. The last thing that Paul mentions is, is this guy named Tychicus. And Paul is sending Tychicus to inform them of what's happening with Paul and the people with him. And Tychicus is mentioned also in Colossians, 2 Timothy, and Titus. And we know nothing about him. Except that he's connected to Paul, and that he's a trusted companion of Paul's. And the thing I love about this is when we look through Paul's letters, there are 80 different names. People he trusted, people he sent letters with, people that he talked about as being his partners in what God is doing. So what we get from this is Paul is not alone. Paul named actual men and women who were worshiping and giving witness to the gospel and living out the res resurrection with him on a day-to-day -day basis. He names towns and cities in the empire. Each of these names is someone who has encountered Jesus and is dealing with this oppressive government at the time and the ins and outs of their day-to-day -day lives. And Tychicus is gonna give all the details. He knows all the stuff about Paul, all the stories, all the small talk, how people's kids are doing, birth, deaths. They're gonna sit together over meals and over life together and share. We absolutely cannot forget the role of being together and with each other and how important that is um, when we're in this. Uh, as we come to the end, as you come to the end of your time in Ephesians, um, I want to encourage you that what you're doing matters. It matters immensely. Here in this neighborhood, in the neighborhood you live in, in Wedgwood, where One Life Community Church is, um, and that uh, what you're doing is changing things uh, and, and for the better. Um, I have a couple of questions that I want you to think about for a minute. Um, the first is, who or what is the functional master of your heart? Maybe it's one of the two things I mentioned. Maybe you have some sexual addiction, maybe you have some uh, drug addiction, but maybe it's not those. Maybe it's an addiction to, to mastering time. Maybe it is uh, something to do with being in control. Maybe, you know, who knows? But when that phrase comes up, what is the functional master of your heart? What little gods do you make offerings to throughout your day? Um, that you give your heart to. Second, do you have an area or areas where it is more difficult to maintain your orientation to Jesus and you find it difficult to stand? 
I know uh, Dan talked about, and I share this with him, uh, driving bad habits, right? When people cut me off on I-5, and they probably have good reason to, uh, I say things that reveal that I have a difficult time standing against the devil's schemes. And I give myself over to an idol in that, an idol of power, an idol of control. And it's not an idol that I ever plan on acting out, but I get to vent against that person in a way that they can't even respond to. It gives me power over them. Secondly, what lies have you heard in your life? Okay, what have people spoken to you? What have these, uh, and, and, and the powers and authorities spoken through people to you? What are the things that you've heard about who you are, who, what the church is, who God is? Um, what things have you heard there? And then lastly, uh, what truth do you hear that speaks against those lies? Um, we'll take a minute to think on that, and then I have no idea what happens next. So Dan will tell you that. Let me pray real quick and, uh, and then we'll give you that space. Uh, God, I just ask that in this time, Holy Spirit, you would speak. Uh, that, that whether it's one of these questions or some other thing we've been dwelling on, I pray that we would hear you uh, and connect with you in a way that you become more and more the thing that we center our lives on. Uh, that, that we would give our lives over to you in every way we can to help fight uh, against the lies the, the native tongue, so to speak, of, of the devil. Uh, and so I pray that you would strengthen us in this and give us this space to, to hear truth from you, which is your native language. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. To find out more about The Bridge or to listen to any message from our complete archive, visit thebridgeseattle.org.